Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 29 of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Mike O'Connor. Dr. Mike O'Connor is the headmaster of Dulwich College Sujo. And uh, Mike is an Australian from Brisbane, Queensland, like me. All of our listeners uh, will now know all about Brisbane. I'm not yet officially sponsored by Tourism Queensland, but I'm pretty sure I will be at some point because I am always just telling people how amazing Brisbane is. But that's <laughs> that's a point for another for another time or maybe later today. Uh, so Mike joined Dulwich College Sujo in China as headmaster in 2019 after 22 years teaching and leading in the Queensland Department of Education. He holds a Doctor of Education from Griffith University and a Bachelor of Education Secondary with majors in English and History from the Queensland University of Technology. Mike's doctoral research focused on student attendance in Queensland secondary schools and has been published in a peer-reviewed journal. Prior to joining DCSZ, Mike led Upper Coomera State College on the Gold Coast. Upper Coomera is a preparatory uh, year to year 12 uh, college of 2,100 students. Before this, he was principal of four diverse schools in Queensland. Mike's professional interests revolve around explicit teaching and learning that facilitates student acquisition of thinking skills, the coherence required to lead schools to excellent performance, and how staff growth and professional development supports student happiness, wellness, and achievement. Mike also gains great satisfaction from supporting the development of aspirant leaders. Mike and his wife, Terry, love travel and are always planning their next adventure. Uh, Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jono. I really appreciate being here with you. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you on. And um, before we chat even about your current context, you're a, you're a, a Brisbane, or like a born in Brisbane that far back in terms of being based in Brisbane initially? Um, actually born over the border, um, ah. almost as far down as Victoria on the border uh, in Albury, but oh, uh, yes. came to Brisbane when I was five, did all my schooling in Brisbane, Brisbane's home. Yeah, that's actually uh, similar. My wife, um, Liz, was born in Dubbo and came up here, uh, her family came up here when she was four. So a similar, similar sort of story. And then it always brings up the eternal question, uh, which only Australians will care about, but I still, as a Queenslander, can't help but asking. So being <laughs> being, uh, being born south of the border and then coming up when you're five, do you, do you follow the state of origin? Do you support anyone in the state of origin? Yeah, look, it's not my chosen sport, um, soccer. So round ball football is my chosen sport, but I'm definitely a, a convert. I am, I am maroon. Yeah, okay. So, um, right, that's the correct answer. Def, def, definitely, no. definitely a Queenslander. Yeah. I love I love saying that. People outside of Australia will have no idea. But it's such a great, um, like you said, not being your number one sport. Soccer also is actually my, my number one sport. I love uh, I love soccer. I follow the, the Premier League in particular. Mm. But um, it's uh, it's always great for people outside of Australia. If you're interested in Australian sport, the state of origin is, is a very uh, interesting game of rugby league that, that happens a few times every year between just two of the states. It's, it's got such a big rivalry. 
Okay, enough about um, Brisbane and sport. I feel like I, I tend to start like one out of every three podcasts with uh, with something <laughs> something related to geography or no, it's uh, good. or sport. Tell us about your current context, Mike. So what, I guess, Dulwich College, uh, Sujo, but also what it what it's like to be headmaster, give people a bit of a, a window into your context. Yeah, thanks, Jono. It's, it's, it's really interesting. And I, I moved over there in 2019, as you, as you said. Uh, Suzhou is a, a small Chinese city of uh, 14 million people. Um, wow. It is located just just to the, to, to the, uh, the west of Shanghai. So it's a... 27 minutes on the on the fast train into Shanghai, which is um, you know a city of nearly 30 million people, and China China's just a fascinating place. Um, uh, Dulwich College Suzhou is part of the Dulwich family of schools. Um, we have a a parent college back in London, Dulwich College London, which has been around for just over 400 years. Wow! Uh, and we have college we have colleges uh, across Asia: uh, Seoul, Singapore, Beijing, Shanghai, Suzhou. Uh, and then some other uh, kinds of schools that are that are more relevant to the Chinese context. Uh, it's a it's a two year old to eighteen year old college, just under a thousand students. Um, three sub schools. It's what most people in Queensland or Australia would uh, refer to as a P to twelve, except yes. that we do enrol toddlers. So we we enrol down to two year olds in a kindergarten. So uh, it's a little bit different in that context. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, my role is to um, oversee the the educational and, and business functions of the college. Um, so uh, just similar to what an executive principal or, or what a, you know, a, a leader of a large school or college in Australia would do. Yeah, fantastic. That's a that's a great explanation. And uh, thank you for giving us a bit of context about Suzhou. I didn't realise um, its location compared to Shanghai and, and um, those numbers being... Uh, I, I don't even know how many we have in, in Brisbane these days. It's still, it'll be under 5 million or... Um, uh, maybe four million. I, I think I'll do a quick Google and, and check while, while I'm here. But I, it's just staggering to think 14, uh, 14 million. And what's how large is the city um, for someone like me who who doesn't know much really about the different cities in China? How large is Suzhou uh, land wise? Is it quite spread out? Is it really? Um, uh, I guess fourteen million people is a lot of people to have in a city, regardless. But is it is it a larger city in in land size or smaller? Yeah, it's, it's quite spread out. So, so all of the, the Chinese cities are, are quite vast, and it's broken up into into precincts or districts. Um, where the college is and where all of our staff live and where I live is in a, in a, a part of the city called the Suzhou Industrial Park, and it's a uh, purpose-built master plan community that's only about thirty years old. Um, wow! Uh, whereas thirty minutes, thirty minutes, a little bit away is Suzhou Old Town. Um, and in there, we have a partner school that we work with, which is uh, 990 years old. So, um, you know, it's, 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 oh, wow. a, it's an unbelievable, yeah, it's an unbelievable mix of old and new. Suzhou, the city, is often referred to as the Venice of the East because it's a canal city. Yes. Um, I think Venice of the East is a little bit generous, um, <laughs> but it's, 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 a, it's a lovely place, um, very modern, lots of amenities, and, uh, and yeah, really... Uh, Really, it's an easy place to live. Some sometimes Asian cities can be quite challenging. From you know, for, you know, probably people who've travelled a bit, and also I know from some of my colleagues who um, work in the British schools across Asia. Whereas a really modern, well-functioning, well-connected city like Suzhou is is quite quite easy to adapt to. Yeah, absolutely. 
And uh, I was way off with my population guess of Brisbane. It's two and a half million. So I went really? four million. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I was. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I couldn't help you. I had no idea. Yeah. The other thing about the, yeah. um, the, the experience of, of uh, Sujo is that we, we were only allowed to enroll expatriate children. So all of the children uh-huh. in the college must be foreign passport holders. Oh, wow. Uh, so we have about 50 different. Yeah, we have about 50 different nationalities. Um, the largest groups are what we call, I guess, Chinese heritage students. So they, they might have an American passport. They've got a Chinese mother, American father, or vice versa. Um, yes. And then we also have a large, Kore- a large Korean population because there's a, a very large uh, Korean industry in the city. Um, oh, wow. okay. So there's strong links between China and Korea and industry. So we've got nearly, nearly 400 Korean students. Oh, wow. Yeah. So a, a, a lot mm-hmm. of um, Korean students in the college. Amazing. Um, and so tell us, Mike, about your story, I guess, uh, particularly those moments that really shaped you to become the leader who you are today. Yeah, yeah, John. So I, I think I had a fairly normal um, upbringing in Brisbane. You know, two, two parents who, who loved me, an older brother, um, lots of sport, um, state school at Sunnybank Hills and then uh, McGregor State High School. So, so very proud of going through those channels and then yeah. um, settled on, on an education degree. And, and, and once I, I went into that, I did the usual country service route um, mm-hmm. and ended up in central Queensland. Uh, but then I, I was fortunate enough to, as a, as a secondary English and history teacher, end up in a... Um, a Peter 12 school up in uh, North Queensland. And I got the opportunity to teach primary school there after I'd been teaching the English. And mm. um, the principal there, a wonderful, wonderful gentleman, um, who I still have, have not a lot of time for, encouraged me to go and look at a leadership position. So I applied for uh, the, the classic one-teacher school and ended up down in southwest Queensland teaching in a one-teacher school. And then from there, I just worked my way yeah, you know, like I said, a fairly traditional pathway through that that process of deputy principal and then to principal. Um, the only difference, I guess, is that I spent quite a bit of time in primary schools and quite a bit of time in secondary schools before I uh, ended up at Upper Coomera. So um, uh, before, probably before I went to Upper Coomera, my career had been split pretty much half in primary schools and half in secondary schools, um, which was really good for my understanding of, of, of education right from prep through to, to exit. Um, Hmm. Yeah, I'd say it's a fairly traditional career pathway, you know, smaller school, larger school, you know, work your way along. Um, and, um, yeah, and then the uh, the itch to go overseas came I, and uh, I, I grabbed it. <laughs> uh, incredible. And <laughs> I'm imagining that that move to go and, and, and lead, you know, in the, the one teacher school in southwest Queensland, um, what what was your, I, I guess, what was the the biggest learnings that you had in that season when you took your first leadership role in that in that uh, one teacher school? I remember that was in early two thousand and one, and it was so it's 20, 20, 20 plus years ago, and I, mm. I remember that was back in the day when we only had a week's Easter holiday. Yeah, and I, I got. I got the notification that I was going and I'm sure it was on the Thursday before term one finished and I had to start, you know, 1,200 kilometres away from North Queensland down to southwest Queensland on the following Monday or Tuesday, whatever day term two started. 
So it was a you know a mad move down there, and it really it really was a jolt. You know, a, a mm. one teacher school is an incredibly challenging thing. It's the 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 teaching principle is the the face of the government in the community. You're immersed <laughs> in your community. Um, you know, there's no hiding that the school how the school residence is in the school. So you literally wake up every morning, get out of bed, walk across the oval to the school. Um, wow. You know, there's there's no there's no getting away from it. You you know create a really tight group of um, of friends that that are uh, in the community. Um, but in terms of learning, I think learning you know how students learned from back in those days it was only grade one to grade seven. There was there was no prep. Um, and also grade sevens were still in primary schools. Um, mm. So learning that that entire learning experience of students from grade one to seven was, was was a really you know interesting thing for me, and I think has still holds me in good stead. But just understanding community, Jono, and, and knowing that you know parents are partners in the in the learning journey, and it's really important for them to to connect with the school and and to to understand what's going on and, and, and you know i still use some strategies from there even now in in suzhou in terms of transparent practices with parents and and understanding the parents who are really invested and, and care about their children's education which which all do in their own way mm. um you know they, they want to know what's going on you know they they, they, they feel like a connection to the, the school is really important to them so yeah that was that was important but then i think back some of the things too like teaching kids how to swim you know it's just mm. it was just um you know, now we you know we would have swimming coaches or we'd have PE teachers or someone doing it, but I had to go off and do the swimming certificate and learn to teach these kids how to swim, which was uh, wow. interesting. Yeah, um, <laughs> the, 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 yeah, it was just a really interesting time. It was a fifty-kilometer round trip from the, the school to get milk from the local town, so you know it was twenty-five k's into town, twenty-five k's out again, and 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 where I was at Hannaford, it's only three hundred. 50 kilometers west of Brisbane it's not even that remote it was just immediately yeah. remote but some of these places that our that our colleagues work in that are you know two two and a half thousand kilometers from Brisbane they're just extraordinary huh. places yeah that that is extraordinary I remember um chatting with someone from a school on the Sunshine Coast recently and they were talking about a trip they did uh with students up up north uh you know to sort of must have been maybe near Cape York or more further inland and and I, I was telling someone this I was telling someone this story the other day to explain how big Queensland is saying that they took this busload of kids and and it took them the best part of three days <laughs> to actually on a bus because some of the roads you know are, are sort of uh, the sort of back roads so you can't necessarily go that that fast on them so it actually took them three days to get all the way to where they were going um, and then when they were coming back three days back and they were stayed in the one state the whole time. Uh, so yeah, the, the distance no, no. and how remote different communities are here is, is incredible. Oh, it's just Queensland's such a big place, you know, and, and I don't think people can, can comprehend it. You know, if they're not familiar with it, it's just enormous. You know, I had, uh, had colleagues who, when, you know, I taught, you know, they, they would move to Thursday Island or they would move to one of the islands, you know, even further away. You know, closer towards Papua New Guinea, it's just it's, it's a long way away. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just shifting from that to, to current situation, the importance of community, which you really learnt by just, you know, boom, you're immersed in the community, one teacher school, nowhere to hide. How have you found building and developing and navigating community through COVID over, you know, in, in your, um, you know, in this season? 
Yeah, I mean this this pandemic has has been extraordinary, and I, I you know I don't think anyone um, fully understands just what the ramifications for students and families might be. I I have a really clear theory mm. that when it's over, we're we're probably going to see people experience some some um, yeah, symptoms that I, I don't think could be described as anything other than grief. You know, I really think that people are going to yeah. to come out of this with, with a you know a really um, challenging set of you know emotional problems to work through. So, uh, an international school is is the heart of the community, just like uh, uh, a rural school in Queensland. So, mm. you know, in, in terms of navigating that, it, it it was about understanding that that's the 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 connection that people have, you know, with with their other there are other expat people, you know, mm-hmm. so um, our families lean on each other. They're very close to each other. They all, um, and they, they do, they do gravitate towards their own cultural groups or the people obviously that have similar interests to them. But on the whole, they're, they're, most of them are having a very similar experience. They're a long way from home. So for us, it was about trying to create, and when I say us, a leadership team, trying to create opportunities for people to connect, trying to put the smile on people's faces. So we, you know, we, we did a lot of uh, events when we could because a lot of the time we were isolated and we couldn't have people in the college or, yes. or hold events but just trying to give people a, an outlet to to connect um, trying to take the pressure off our kids too our kids are incredibly high achieving they're all very focused on their um, you know their their results and their college um, destination so trying to take the pressure off them when we could see that they were fraying at the, the seams a little bit um, mm. Because you know we've got kids, kids who haven't seen their grandparents for two years, kids who have, you know, may have a, a parent overseas or, um, yeah, you know, a sibling, sibling who's already gone off to college overseas who hasn't been able to come back. Just all of those challenging things, um, and um, yeah, just trying to get people to connect, trying to get people to have the opportunity to have a smile on their face, Jono, because it, it's just been a pretty miserable time. I'd say is the best way to describe it. <laughs> um, and, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and China being the you know, China was um, has been inaccessible for most of the last eighteen months, which is yes. um, you know, pe- people have found challenging. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I agree with what you said about it uh, in terms of there being unique sort of uh, consequences that that we and and people experiencing immense grief after COVID. I, I think it's. Um, I've definitely been watching educators and really felt like there's been a lot of people have uh you know had their lives industries you know people have have lost their lives industries have been completely disrupted or shut down but i think education has been hit particularly hard um for because of the pressure on educators to continue uh you know as as frontline workers to keep educating and shifting online and doing online and face-to-face and then I just I've just been uh, working with and watching a lot of educators and really oh just it's it's already I I believe it's already an incredibly um, meaningful but very uh, I think it's a I think it's got it's a challenging um, industry and and great teachers uh, they work so hard so how have you navigated leading educators through COVID in terms of your staff? Yeah, and and again, that we you know we we have a, a, a just over a hundred expat staff who 
um, for the most part, haven't been able to, to do what they love to do. You know, and, mm. and one of the big attractions to international education is the opportunities it presents to travel. You know, so yes. the vast majority of our staff are British, are British, and they've come to China um, to to work in a great school, but also to have a cultural experience. You know, yes, uh, Korea's an hour an hour and a half away. The all the other wonderful cities and countries of Asia are on our doorstep and they haven't mm. been able to do that. So, you know, there, there's been a great deal of, um, I guess, just just caring for people and showing them that we understand and, and walking walking the journey with them, you know. So our leadership team have been really conscious of, of you know, making sure that people understand that we're in it with them and, um, and, and any opportunity we could taking away, you know, it gave us a chance to have a look at some of the, the unnecessary layers of bureaucracy that we may have not recognized prior you know so, sure. so different um reporting me- reporting mechanisms you know did that form really need to be filled out or could we have found a better way to do it um as many social opportunities as we could um and then we also you know we're a um a a business as well as an, an educational facility uh mm. we took the opportunity to give some people some extra bonuses some um, higher rates of pay, um, some stipends uh, to uh, thank them for their commitment, um, mm. and that's just something that's not possible in a state education setting with with awards and, and structures. Um, yes. So yeah, we were we were able to reward, reward them financially as well, which which was was well received. Um, but yeah, it's been challenging because we've got you know I've got staff, I've got one staff member who hasn't seen his wife in eighteen months because she lives in a country that uh, isn't. Um, fees are friendly to China at the moment. Um, wow. You know, they're, they're tough. They're tough situations for people to deal with. Yeah, that's uh, wow. That's that's um, incredibly difficult. If we if we rewind a few years, uh, speaking of, uh, I guess, sort of tragedy and and really difficult circumstances, um, you were a principal of Mabel Park State High School when there was the the slack the Slacks Creek fire in 2011. Can you tell us uh, about, yeah. I guess, what happened there and particularly um, what it was, uh, I guess, as a, as a leader, uh, I can imagine there's those moments where you just, um, you know, I've, I've heard leaders talk about it before where you go through something and your community goes through something that's so heartbreaking, but as a leader, you you need to manage that personal um challenge a grief but also lead your 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 school and your community through that um so i'd love to hear you tell a little bit of that story yeah i mean that that's that's the single most difficult thing i've ever done in my career john you know that was just and and i wasn't even a victim of you know so so those those two families um uh that 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 suffered that tragedy you know i you just can't possibly imagine how they still get on with things but they do um you know hmm. and and that's a real credit to them so that's actually 10 years ago in august this year oh wow um, yeah which is which is just just uh, seems extraordinary um you know we, we that was the worst domestic house fire in australia's history we, we lost 11 members of our of our community from across the the state school and also the, the state high school where I was the principal, and it, it was just you know in terms of learning and 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 what what could you possibly take away from something you know that's just so horrific. Um, mm. Again, it was it was that sense of community. It was it was you know it was a really strong sense of letting the kids 
you know, grieve and, and work through their their own feelings in the way that suited them. I think that was really important. Mm. Um, there was, I, 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 re, I distinctly recall saying to the kids, you know, we, you know, we're talking to the whole school um, that I was going to be absolutely honest with them, tell them the truth, you know, and not, not, um, not try to shield them from the facts. You know, when we learned that, you know, uh, one of one of their peers had been identified, for example, as, as being a victim. To be honest with them about that, and to you know be upfront, so that they could then commence their grieving process, and we could support them rather than try to you know tell them half a story or shield them from it because that wasn't going to be productive. Um, but but then also uh, there was a, a real pragmatic need to get the school back on track and to to get you know a level of normalcy returned which Mm. which was really challenging but we tried to do you know quite quickly because you know we wanted to be on the one running parallel tracks i guess john running parallel tracks of support and care and empathy and you know grief counseling for kids but also trying to give them that structure and and consistency that we knew that they needed uh and then finally, just you know, the strength of team. You know, there's mm. still team members that I had there, deputies and, and heads of department who are, you know, the sort of people that I'll walk on glass for mm. for the rest of my career and, and life because they were there yeah. working with me and supporting those those kids in that community. And and that and that that's that was really important because it wasn't um you know, it it wasn't a pleasant time. Um but you know, you, you I, again. I just think of those. I think of the families, uh, you know, that are just, you know, still, you know, still damaged. Of course, because it's just the worst thing you can possibly imagine happening. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's unthinkable tragedy. It's um, mm-hmm. I, I guess for for leaders out there who like me, I, you know, can't imagine. I just cannot imagine. Um, no, obviously, so unfathomable for the families and for the community. And and as a leader, I can't imagine that moment when you hear that news. And you, or I guess for leaders who are listening, you haven't been through that, <laughs> thankfully. But we we know that you know these things happen in 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 life can happen. What advice would you give to leaders to, I guess, prepare prepare is the is the wrong word, but I, I guess if if something like that happens in their community or there there's a tragedy in their context, whatever that looks like, what advice would you give to leaders uh, about how to navigate that and lead well through that? I think there are there you know unfortunately there are some really practical learnings that do come from these things. Um, yeah. So yeah, like not happy to have had to learn it this way, but happy to share those learnings. Um, sure. One is is that we should all regularly check our critical incident plan. You know, it's it's a really important part of what we do because no matter how experienced or tough or you know resilient we are, when you're faced with that level of challenge, you don't remember every little thing. But if you can pull out the critical incident plan and it's got some you know really good logical steps in there, you can yeah. actually start to follow the manual. And and the, and the manual is is really really helpful. Uh, you know, and one of the things is is to assign uh, roles to team members. So mm. that people have specific roles and, and their job is ju- maybe just to liaise with the media. That may be one person's role. Um, yeah. 
in a situation like that, that's usually going to be the principal. But another one really important role is to assign a, a recorder, you know, so that someone is recording incidents and recording communication and recording, you know, important facts as you go along. And if that's just one person's job, then that's all they have to worry about. Um, you know, and, and, and those sort of practical things, I think, are, are really worth doing. You know, we, we leaned heavily in, at, at DCSZ on our, our critical incident manual um, through through the pandemic, you know, because we, we, we took it down off the shelf, we dusted it off, um, yeah. and, and we, we've, we've reviewed it and we've refined it as we've gone through and learned things. I think it's a really important thing. The other thing is to, to be kind to oneself and to, you know, give give yourself some space and time, you know, like yes. sometimes people think that after a, after a tragedy, everything has to be done immediately. And the, the sad reality of the situation is, is that you can't go back in time and you can't change it. So whether mm. you sit and give yourself 10 minutes to actually gather your thoughts and to calm yourself isn't going to matter in the big picture of things, mm. you know, um, because unfortunately the, the horrible things already occurred. It's not, it's not likely to occur again. Um, yeah. So, you know, taking the time to gather one's thoughts, calm oneself, I think is really important um, because, again, unfortunately, what the community wants, and not, not unfortunately, well, yeah, unfortunately, but also fortunately, the community wants the leader standing there and looking composed. You know, the community wants yes. the leader. They're the one that people look to for trust and confidence uh, and, and the next steps. So trying to find a way to compose oneself, I think, is, is, is critical. Yeah, I don't think it gets much more challenging than <laughs> than leading through a situation like that. And and I appreciate you sharing. Uh, I think there's some wonderful thoughts in there that leaders, you know, those listening who may uh, not have dusted off that critical incident, um, you know, process and form. I, I think there'll be some people maybe uh, putting that on the to do list to do this week because it's it's so important and it's worth finding the time to do it so that. I think that's just wonderful advice. You know, the last thing you want to be doing is having to really think on your feet about all the boxes you need to tick. When that happens, you want to have some sort of checklist, something where you go, we've thought about this when time wasn't on, when the media weren't knocking at the door and we and we yeah. thought about this and what was important. So that's that's wonderful advice, Mike. Yeah, no one no one can think of everything on the time you know it's, it's number one people are unlikely to have had that experience before and uh and let's hope that no one has to do you know a, a suicide experience or a you know a staff death experience multiple times you know in, in most yeah. people's careers you would hope that, that these are one-offs or you know the most maybe twice um, yeah absolutely so being an expert on being an expert on it is not a badge of honor people really want to wear no <laughs> yeah that's true um, I want to ask you about mentoring because I know you're very passionate about mentoring and it would be great to hear uh, who's a mentor of yours that comes to mind and why Why do you think they had such an impact on you? Yeah, so, I, you know, I always go back to, to my deputy principal colleague and I, and I won't mention her name because she, she literally will kill me. Um, <laughs> and I mean literally. Yeah. She is... Um, She's one of, you know, one of the greatest friends I've got, you know, on the planet, but also in education and, and, and is, is um, one of those people that I just was able to work alongside and, and learn from, you know, just by watching the way she conducted herself and the things that were important to her. 
um, you know, and I think that that's, that was a real privilege for me because I'd come out of my one teacher school and, you know, ended up you know, as a deputy you know, in my late twenties in a, in a, um, large primary school. Yeah. And, and I, and I needed that guidance, you know, I needed someone to show me the ropes around what was important around curriculum and how did you navigate relationships and, you know, how did you handle parents who were, you know, possibly, you know, more challenging or, or had a different set of perspectives to what I was used to in my previous schools. And, yeah, and and what what that that relationship did for me was it encouraged me that when I became a principal and had my own deputies, you know, I, I wanted to to support them and mentor them and and develop them to be the best that they can be. So, what does that mean? So, what that looks like in practice is, is I've tried to always uh, engage in what I call a, a coaching model that shows people you know if you think of you use a sporting analogy at the start and I, I think sometimes we should be careful with sporting analogies because they can often alienate you know groups of people in the room who aren't necessarily interested in sport but they're yeah. popular and you know they're often very relevant but yeah a coach of a, a good coach of, of any team sport will actually blow the whistle and get out on the court or the field or whatever it is and try to show their players what it is they should be doing you know mm. whether it be where they should stand or how they should receive the ball or you know whatever they should do so you know i, I think that that leadership can be the same you know so some principals are don't like to uh coach their their deputies and their people on things like finance and school um, operations or I, I, I try to bring my people in close and, and explain to them well this is how the budget works this is how the budget planning works this is why we have spent money in this area this way and you know this is why we have done 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 this project this way and, and, and I think that that's you know been appreciated I'm really proud I've got a whole bunch of ex-deputies out there around Queensland with their own schools now mm. I hope they're not there in spite of me. I hope they're there because I've somehow supported their development by showing them, you know, how to have a conversation with someone, how to strategically plan a cycle of improvement, you know, things like that that I think are important. Um, and, and I used to have this boss on the Gold Coast who was a regional director, and he used to say, you know, if you've got 100 of something, Mike, and you give someone 20 of it, you show someone 20% of your 100. That doesn't mean you've got 80 and they've got 20. That means between you now you've got 120. Does that make sense? Mm. And 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 I, I think that was a really good way of saying, you know, if we give parts of our learnings away, we're not we're not giving anything away from ourselves. We're just helping someone else, and that's that's been a really important part of, of my leadership. Yeah, I that's uh, that's a really great way to unpack that. That when you're if you have 100 and you give 20, it doesn't become 80 20. It becomes 120 and and, and yeah, become, you know, you increase to it to 120. That's, and, and I think a lot of leaders do struggle to jump in and, and really help and give because there's, uh, there can be this element of feeling threatened or, or, uh, being afraid of, and, and I just think you're, you've hit the nail on the head that it's, it's just not worth thinking like that. At the end of the day, everyone wins when you invest in the people around you. And, uh, I, I think we've got to think bigger picture than just our organization. I love what you said about Ed Queensland, how you have these uh, you have these people that you've invested in when you were working with them, but now they're in the, you know, they're running schools in Queensland and they'll be doing the same thing. And that's the big picture. And that's what leadership is, is about. And that's why mentoring is so important. Yeah, I, I just think, John, it's critical. And I think it's our job. 
you know, I think it is absolutely part of our job. Um, you know, another way that I'd put it would be that it's really important for principals to show deputies and aspiring heads of department or, or teachers who want to go into leadership that the job's actually doable. Yes. You know, if, if the principal is, is always frazzled and, you know, works 14 hours a day and never looks like they've got a spare moment, then who's going to want to do the job, you know, when, <laughs> when the rest of us, you know, pack it, pack it in and, and are going on to other things. And so, you know, there has to be an element of us showing people that the job is, you know, achievable and, and isn't going to, you know, put you in an early grave because yes, I, I don't know of any other profession where people you know, speak negatively of their own, their own job as, as much as sometimes teachers and principals do. And, and that's a, I think it's a real shame. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's a good point. Um, well, this is, this has been so great. I, one thing that we haven't had a chance to, to chat about, uh, much today, but I'd love to, you know, potentially do a second episode down the track, or definitely there's an invitation for you to come back on another time, Mike, because I'd love to chat more about education and, um, educational sort of philosophy. I think, I think leaders need to be learners and I love chatting with educators like yourself who have committed so much of their lives to, to understanding, uh, learning and educating, um, and education. So I, I just, uh, I could spend a couple of minutes on it now, but what I really want to do is, is, uh, dig deep and, and have a good chat about it another time. If, uh, if that's okay. Yeah, let's do that. Awesome. And did you have any final thoughts for listeners as we wrap up this episode? Oh, I think that just, I do, yeah. So just during a, you know, a really challenging time and and as we, you know, move towards Christmas uh, with the, the end of the school year here in Australia, it's only halfway through my school year in China, mind you. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. Because we, we run the, the other calendar. I think it's important that people you know, really re- re- reset and recharge and enjoy Christmas break and, and try to, you know, get themselves ready because... I think people need to forgive themselves and remind themselves of just how challenging, you know, the last two years have been and, and, um, and yeah, take a moment to reflect. That's wonderful advice. And it's a great point to land on because I think, I think you're right. I think in 20 years, 30 years time, I think, uh, the next generation and, you know, in schools, those who, who haven't been born yet, I think they'll be saying, what was it like? And as they grow older, they'll say, how on earth did you, live through that and i think we'll go i don't know <laughs> i yeah. look back and i know we did i know we life went on and we made it work and we couldn't travel and but i think you're right i think i think there has been a there's a hidden toll and i think people definitely need to give themselves a lot of kindness and be aware that okay yeah one in hopefully one in 100 year pandemic that uh that that we won't see again for for a lifetime and that's what i've been leading in in the past couple of years. And that probably means I need to give myself a, a good break and be kind to myself, especially kind to myself this Christmas. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful advice. Uh, well, thank you to our listeners. Really appreciate you tuning in. I know you would have gotten a lot from from that today. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting with Mike. Uh, reminder for our listeners that you can also check out a couple of other podcasts we have at Clarity. We have the John O'White Leadership Podcast, where I just give you content. I, I just uh, recorded a new one today, which was really about this idea are leaders born or are they or can they be made like do you have to be a leaders only born leaders or can they be made so you'll have to listen to that if you want to hear my thoughts on that that'll be uh, published soon 
and the leadership question of the day, where I ask you a different question every day to help you grow as a leader and and challenge your thinking. Uh, but to, to land today's episode, I just want to thank, uh, once again, just a massive thank you for the generosity of time. And, um, and also, I, I know we didn't mention this in the podcast, but in uh, day 13 of quarantine. So very, being very kind to, uh, to jump on and, and speak to us when, um, on day 13, even though you've still been working, uh, day 13 of quarantine here in Brisbane, Mike, uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. I've really enjoyed your thoughts. There's, uh, so much wisdom and, and some really, um, really appreciate you sharing some of those stories that are, uh, really touching stories and, uh, really encouraging for leaders. No worries, John. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57 page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage consultclarity.org right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I, I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be.
Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and, and please do that. And look for me, John O'White, or Clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself, and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it, and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.